and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Jake, Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. I wrote for EPL Index and The Boot Room. Hi, I'm Getos Whelan, a Swansea City fan. You can find me on Twitter at Getos Whelan, and you can also find me at the Jackcast uh, podcast, which is at the Jackcast. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, in the pre-show, we were kind of talking about how delighted a show this must be, uh, as all of us won 1-0 at the weekend. Um, Topic-wise, though, um, I wanted to bring up something. Uh, you know, sometimes we get accused of talking about Tottenham too much, so if if you're one of those people that hates that, uh, buckle up. Uh, specifically, Mauricio Pochettino mentioned this week um, that he thought that the process and development at Tottenham is more important than winning trophies, uh, specifically in regards to the financials, that while a lot of the other big clubs are able to spend their TV money directly on players and stuff like that, that we've had to use that money for internal infrastructure with um, the new training ground, with the new stadium, uh, trying to develop all the other things that go with both of those projects. Um, But on, on a kind of more basic level, do you guys agree that the process of a club's development could be more important than trophies? Kev, I'm going to immediately come in and just shoot this down by saying one simple response is, aren't you building and developing your club to win trophies? <laughs> An excellent point. Which which is exactly what Tottenham tried to do. They haven't they haven't won anything recently. I think the last one they won was the League Cup back in 2008, was it? That might be it. That sounds yeah. right. Um, so it's been 10 years, which I don't think... I mean, Tottenham, they're probably the one club in that top six that can afford to not win trophies because they've not historically, or at least in the recent history, won a lot of them. So it's not a massive thing. And I guess from that point of view, building the club is more important because you want to deliver sustainable success and not just win the occasional trophy like Tottenham have done. Um, So from that point of view, yes, he's right. But the ultimate goal is to win trophies. And that's what Tottenham are going to have to do in the next few years, I think. The one thing keeping Tottenham from being maybe a top-tier English team, even now people talk about Liverpool, um, Manchester United, Manchester City, and, and all, yeah, they talk about the other teams more than they do about Tottenham because they win trophies. <laughs> and I think that's... like Chelsea have had a pretty bad season now, but they won the Premier League last season. Arsenal won the FA Cup. Like, I don't know. I think I think from a... To, to grow further, it, winning trophies is part of the, the the growth, and I think that's the next stage for Tottenham. I think that they've got to a limit now where, yes, they can maybe finish in the top three, and and they've sort of done okay in the Champions, well done well in the Champions League, and but it's difficult to see how further they're going to go, especially with a tough tie against Juventus, which I'm sure you'll talk about later. But it's, I think, winning a trophy is maybe what's needed to take them to the next step of challenging for league titles and challenging for Champions League uh, league titles and getting that experience of winning trophies, getting through finals. It, it's what's preventing them from make, taking that next step. So I, I, it's a difficult question to answer. I think, yes, it's important to grow the club so they can sustainably um, challenge. But I also think you need to win trophies to continue that progression and the ultimate goal is winning a trophy. So in short, I think winning trophies is more important than growth, but they're, they're very tied together. They're very intrinsically linked. So I think for Tottenham now, it's winning trophies is, is, is the next step for them. And it's, they're in the FA Cup. They've got a good um, draw against Rochdale. They're in the Champions League. They've got a, a winnable tie against Juventus after what they did against Real Madrid, although what Real Madrid have done since maybe does, and Dortmund as well, what they've both done since maybe lip, 
make that achieve, the achievements of Tottenham look a little bit worse. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go for the rest of the season. But if they do manage to win the FA Cup, I think that's a that would be a huge step in in their progression. With, with Spurs, it's a bit strange because, like you said there, Jake, it's been about ten years since since they last won the trophy, and you'd probably I think I think it's pretty obvious that they are um, they they well well they, they've come forward so much more since then, and they're they're a much bigger and uh, much more um, I don't know, prestigious club, I guess, now than they were when they when they won their last trophy, even though they haven't actually been able to add to it. But uh, yeah, I, I agree entirely with Jake. You, you, you build your club so that it can win titles. Um, I mean, every, everything that Spurs are doing with moving into the, the new stadium, building um, this this new infrastructure off the pit, uh, away from the, the starting eleven. So to say, it's it's all geared up to win a, t- a trophy of some sort, or several trophies. You really you would imagine, um, but yeah, Spurs are Spurs. I guess, like Jake said, they're they're in the, they're in different position to the rest of um, the t- the top six, um, the resources wise, um, <clears throat> and the expectation is lower there than than at every other club in the top six. Um, uh, but it, I guess you could you could also look at say the the argument that Arsenal made. Um, a few years back, when they were when they had just moved into the Emirates, and said, "Oh well, you know, we're moving into the Emirates so that we can eventually build to become, uh, you know, a, a consistent threat at the top end of the table." And what we've seen is actually that that's not turned out to be the case. So they focused on the development of the club and those kind of processes that Pochettino was talking about, and it's not paid off really. Even though, of course, they've won FA Cups recently, they're not they're not really the the, the level that Arsenal probably should be aiming for. Um, mm. If we look outside the top six at smaller clubs, um, it should definitely be the case that they, that every club should be looking to kind of strengthen themselves um, off the pitch in every single way possible, again, to enable them to do better on the, on the pitch. I mean, at my club, we, over the last, since well, since being promoted to the Premier League, we've invested heavily in, um, in the youth team and in training facilities, again with this view to putting ourselves in in, in a better position long term, rather than spending that money on on players who will improve you in the short term. Um, I, I generally, you know, agree with that policy. I think it's I, I think that is a healthier um, long term strategy than just splashing every single penny um, you have on players, even though a lot of Swansea fans will. Um, Will disagree that and, and say that that is where the priority should lie. But just just look at a club like Blackpool, who came up to the Premier League, got a lot yeah. of money out, out of it, and now they've got nothing to show for it. They're down in in, in League One, um, and they, 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 oh, that golden opportunity they had by being promoted to the Premier League was wasted because it wasn't invested um, in in the right way. Um, so, b- bottom line, I agree with Pochettino, but. Uh, I, I have a feeling that he's probably using it as a bit of an excuse because he hasn't won any any trophies. Um, that may be a little bit harsh, but that was kind of the angle I was getting from it as well. Would it well have been as- more impactful for you if somebody like Mourinho or Guardiola had said it with the trophies behind them still saying that the process is more important? Yes, if, if Guardiola had said it, I, I, could, I wouldn't have imagined the Mourinho would ever say that. Um, <laughs> But but if Guardiola had said it, that's something that you would expect to hear from him, and you you would sort of give a little bit more weight there because he's he's somebody who has won trophies and yet still does want to you know improve the clubs he's at uh, in more ways than just you know getting them to the top of the Premier League. 
Yeah, I think those are all uh, very, very good points. Um, I'm interested to see uh, how Pacha's reign will be kind of viewed historically. I mean, I obviously don't want it to end anytime soon, but I'm very curious to see, looking back on this era, if people will look at it as a, as a team that wasted its talent. Because even if we won one or two trophies before a potential breakup, if like Della left or Kane left or Poch left, um, you know, people will probably think that this team should have won more. And that's obviously uh, a disappointing thing. Um, and I agree with both of you that I think um, the process and development are to the end of winning trophies. But um, <clears throat> there was a quote I read a while back. It might have actually been in Pochettino's book. I don't actually remember. Um, but it was talking about uh, the joy um, of supporting a club that's doing well. Uh, and it, it was drawn into sharp relief this weekend after the result. Obviously, some Arsenal fans less than pleased uh, with how that match went, especially Lacazette, but don't need to elaborate on that. Um, but it was about uh, the enjoyment of supporting your club. And a Tottenham supporter basically said, I'd much rather have been Tottenham over the last three years than Arsenal. And an Arsenal fan mentioned that, you know, they've won those FA Cups that, that Gitto mentioned. <clears throat> but you can only win a trophy, what, five times a season? But for us, we've gotten to be a Tottenham fan every day of those seasons. And it has been more enjoyable seeing the direction of the club, seeing the growth with the stadium and everything. Although I do think you made a very good point, Gitto, about the <laughs> dreaded Arsenal comparison. Um, but that, that was largely their thought, was once we build the stadium, we'll get the big bucks, we'll be able to compete with the big boys. <laughs> Didn't end up happening, although the profile of their signings has uh, uh, definitely uh, improved, where they basically were signing a superstar each summer. Uh, whether or not we ever get to that point, I'm not sure. Um, but I am enjoying the process as is. I'm enjoying every day as a Tottenham fan. And if at the end of that, that season of enjoyment there comes a trophy, I will obviously be very delighted. Um, but I'm starting to feel like the fan base is no longer holding him to the trophy or bust thing that it felt like over the summer. Um, whether that be because of the play style has continued or because the fact that all of our young players continue to develop pretty linearly aside from Del Ali who's having a bit of an off season. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely an interesting, uh, argument, uh, because both of you are not in the, um, title chasing mode at the moment, although Swansea are still in the FA Cup. Uh, Gitto already mentioned that, uh, the process is very important for, for lower, uh, in the table sides. Would you agree with that, Jake? Yeah, I think so. Um, I listened to quite an interesting um, interview of Rafa Benitez this week when he was talking about what he sees for the future of Newcastle, which is often debated about whether he's going to stay or not. But the way he talks about the club, he, it, it sounds like he wants to stay and grow the club, which would, which by which pays into this argument. He spoke about how he'd, he's always a manager who wants, who's going to want to win trophies. But at the moment with Newcastle, it's all about staying in the Premier League, building, getting the this young squad experience of staying up so they can manage games better. Because a lot of the time, that's our problem. We can score goals, go ahead, but we can't manage games. So it's... It's not even the process of building the infrastructure, which is not great at Newcastle. That needs a lot of investment. It's building the team and, and their experiences. And um, the last two games, just very recently, like the last two games, we scored first and didn't win it. And today we did. Um, something like that is huge. So it, I, th I think for, for us at the moment, there's a lot up in the air of the ownership and, and whether uh, Benitez wants to stay or not. But I, I I think there's a real opportunity to grow Newcastle. Whether it's going to happen or not, I don't know. But yeah, I, I I think it's. I don't want to be one of those clubs that just wants to stay in the Premier League every single season. But I also know that the gap to the top six is huge, and we're very unlikely to make it up without huge investment, and that's not going to happen. And even if we did invest in the squad, we'd have to probably invest in our training uh, ground and uh, 
maybe um, St. James's Park as well. So there's a lot, we're never going to get to that point, but I'd like to think we could become a top half team and we could challenge in cups. That would be uh, uh, really good and get the occasional Europa League campaign. I think something like that would, would be a good, good goal for Newcastle as we are right now. Hmm. At present, you're only three points behind uh, the top 10. So uh, not even uh, potentially that too long-term of a goal, although I realize you probably mean consistently. Um, Kind of on a similar note, Antonio Conte at Chelsea obviously won uh, the title last season but has had his struggles this year and (laughs) seems to be increasingly less happy uh, as manager of Chelsea Football Club. Um, I'll throw it to you guys in a second, but um, I'm really intrigued by the fact that this continues to happen at Chelsea. Because Conte, inarguably, has made some mistakes, and I'll get to that in a second. But uh, Chelsea continually get rid of managers that have done something for them already. Uh, I was looking at it, and uh, Hiddink, Di Matteo, Benitez, and Mourinho twice have all departed Chelsea within the same year that they won at least one trophy, many of them winning multiple trophies the year before they left. That is some deep internal issues at the club, and then they've been compounded, in my eyes, by some very strange personal decisions by Conte. The fact that he got rid of uh, Costa in order to bring in Morata, he got rid of Batshuayi on loan to bring in Giroud, he got rid of Matic, and then tried to replace him with a mix of Bakayoko, Drinkwater, and Barkley. He sent out Zuma on loan to bring in Rudiger, and you could argue that none of these were actually improvements, which long-term could damage the club, especially if he's not there long-term. What do you guys think Chelsea should do with Antonio Conte, given where they are right now? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think um, I think his future lies away from the club. I think that's been clear from probably the summer when he started criticising the recruitment. Um, Chelsea have been like this for a long time. Like you mentioned, there's a few managers there. Um, Hiddink and Benitez were both just interim managers because they were never going to stay there long term. But Chelsea have just had a business model where they've been able to spend enough money and have enough good players that they can always managed to win trophies. It's the opposite of actually what, what we spoke about in the first question. There's yeah. not a process or a development. It's all about trophies. And they seem to be quite successful at doing it. The problem they have now is that I think the money maybe hasn't run out, but it's definitely decreased. And they're no longer far ahead of all the rest of the clubs. And Abramovich is sort of limiting the spending. And I think that's what's caused some of these problems. Maybe Conte thought he was going to get the old Chelsea. And that's not what they are anymore. They're not going to spend hundreds of million every summer. Because I don't think they've got the money. I think they have the... They need to start looking at developing their club and making it, getting a manager in that can sort of buy into a, a philosophy, get all the players working towards it and build a team that can sustain itself like Tottenham are right now. I think that's what Chelsea probably need to aim to be because unless they have that money, um, I don't think they can just keep going on their current business model. Um, yeah, I think Conte is probably going to end up back in Italy somewhere, probably Inter maybe, AC Milan, they're two cl- clubs I could see him going to, uh, maybe even PSG if that job comes up. Um, I don't think he's going to be at Chelsea, but um, I don't know where they go from there. Um, if they need if they need to get, if they fall out of the top four for any reason, I think they might go in for, um, they might go in for Hiddink again. He's a, he's, he's a friend of Abramovich's, he's done it before. Um, that could be an interim solution. I saw Marco Silva linked somewhere today. I don't think that would be a very good call. Mm-hmm. I think long term they need to get somebody. I think Thomas Tuchel would be very good for that uh, for Chelsea. I think he's a, the type of manager that could build it, build it in his image, and um, you know, be a, more of a long term solution for the club as, as as opposed to what they've done in recent years. 
be interesting if they do that. But yeah, I think it, it, it's an interesting one. I think Chelsea are at real risk of of not do, not do, uh, doing an Arsenal might be the wrong term, but I think they're at real risk of maybe falling out of that top four if they don't get the next sort of if they this summer doesn't go well for them if they don't recruit well if they don't get the right manager and they're at real risk of falling out and that's a crazy to think when they were champions or they're still champions of England it's crazy to think that that's a a very realistic thing for them but I just I just think the money's run out I, I just I just don't know what's happened there it's, it's crazy I think a lot of what's wrong with Chelsea as well I think the squad have got quite a bad I think they've got a lot of bad characters in there and like it's not normal for a top a top six team to go on these bad runs um They've, I think they've only won eight of their last 19. That's completely off the top of my head because I wrote about them earlier this week. But I think it's something like that. They've won eight of their last 19, which is not good at all. Reminds us what they did a couple of seasons ago. I think, and, and a big reason for that is some of the players in that squad. I don't know if Fabregas got, sort of got some bad bad press back then. Hazard's and everyone is questionable, although he's been very, very good this season. I just... I just think, yeah, it's, there's problems in that squad. There's problems in, at that club. There's problems in the boardroom. It doesn't look great, and I think they need to start looking at building for the long term, but that's probably been true for the last four or five years, and they just haven't done it. Mm. I I just think Conte is a dead man walking at the moment. By, by Chelsea's own ridiculous standards, he's he's falling into the sacking category. I mean, he's, he's won two games out of ten in all competitions in, in 2018. Um, the last two games have been thrashings uh, against relegation Battlers, um, where they have been just, just, just wiped away um, in those games, um, and and he's got a big game coming up on on Monday night against West Brom, who should actually be looking forward to the game um, because even though they're they're in in a grim situation now with with so many teams down the bottom half of the table winning, um, the way Chelsea are playing at the moment, West Brom should not fear them at all. Um, I, I think it's a matter of time until Conte goes. If even if he beats West Brom, I can see him getting sacked. Chelsea are probably just lining up a, a replacement for him. But you're right to say Conte's made mistakes, but they, they I, I, it's it's difficult to know how many of those mistakes were kind of sort of brought on by by the club's treatment of him and and how they've mm. dealt with it. It's, it's the same kind of mistakes again where where they've won the title and, and they've just really invested strangely. I mean, so, so many of the players they've bought um, since winning the title, um, I, I've just not really, or, you know, uh, since Conte's come in then, um, I, I've just not really understood them at all. The, the decision to buy drink water, I couldn't see how he improved the squad. Ross Barkley's a very strange one. I, I really didn't know how he fitted in there. Murata obviously has not... It, he he never looked like he's never been a player that's likely to score more than twenty goals every single season. That's not what his record suggests. Even though I I am actually a Morata fan, but um, he wasn't really the answer. And and just uh, the, the generally their uh, recruitment policy it's it's just so disjointed and it's always so much worse after they win the, the Premier League title and there's no real obvious answer for that there's no reason why that it should be like that and Jake you said, you said the money's run up but they have spent I mean Morata cost what 70 million um, Drinkwater I think cost roughly 30 million you know that they're still big sums of money. Okay, they may not be able to compete with United and, and City in terms of spending, but but Chelsea are paupers. Um, they can compete. They just don't spend their money 
they just go through these spells where they don't spend their money well. And I, I really can't understand why Chelsea refuse to learn lessons and, and they keep going on this kind of self-destructive follow-up season every single time they win the, the Premier League. Um, they're outside the Champions League spot at the moment and, and I, I think the mood around the club uh, as things stand and, and the, the problems they've got in the squad, it's going to be difficult for them to finish in the top four this season. I think that whoever eventually takes over from Conte um, over the coming weeks, they, they're going to have a difficult time sort of re-energising that squad. Uh, I'm not ruling them out by any any means, but um, they're going to require quite the turnaround because they've got so many problems at the moment. Um, and, and it's just, what can you say other than it's so Chelsea? It, it's, it is a long-term problem, though. Like you talk about... Um... Kev, you talked about the players they let go, um, Matic and Batshuayi's gone out on loan, and maybe they've brought in players that aren't quite as good. This has been a long-term problem. Like, you see a lot of jokes made that every week now you see Kevin De Bruyne, Mo Salah, uh, Romelu yeah. Lukaku, all, all doing really, really well in, in the Premier League, or Lukaku less so, but still, they're, they're three players that would easily get into that Chelsea team now, and they've just let them go for, for nothing. It's, yeah, if, you, if, if Chelsea had got a good director of football, um, a long time ago, maybe at the start, maybe when Mourinho left the first time, that was the time to get somebody in to plan long term. If they if they're going to turn over managers, you need somebody good upstairs. And I don't think Michael M. Nolly ever was that. He's gone now, but it's just it's just yeah, it's just it is a mess. And I I could completely see them falling like Arsenal have. I I see Arsenal a million a long way behind those top four teams, and I think Chelsea are quickly going to fall behind them as well. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, Chelsea have proven before they, they've had terrible seasons and, and they've come back, you know, and done it again because they do have this short-term mentality. There's no long-term planning there at all. It's all looking for quick fixes, um, you know, thinking a, a couple of months ahead at a time and, and no more than that. Um, and, and who knows, they may, you know, get their next permanent manager, maybe somebody who can get that quick fix for them and can get them back up to the top of the table again. Um, but because they never ever change their ways and, and they keep insisting on this short term, really erratic thinking, that, then that manager is never ever going to get more than one successful season at that mm-hmm. club before, before they're sacked. And we're talking about who's going to be the right man for Chelsea. Well, they've had the right man, they've had several right men. I mean, Mourinho is the perfect man for Chelsea, but they, they, it imploded under him twice. Ancelotti. Um, seemed to be perfect for that club. But, you know, he felt slightly short of expectations in his second season and they got rid of him. And, you know, you have to think how many more managers are they going to go through um, before they just run out of options the the way they run the club over the last 10 or 15 years. The difference now is, though, that you've got other teams that are, continually progressing like Liverpool have come on yeah. so much under club Pochettino keep coming on Man City are going to build a dynasty under Pep Guardiola Manchester United have the money just to outspend anyone and they'll keep somehow getting success and after Mourinho goes they get the right person they can really progress themselves into being one of the best clubs in the world again it's I just think the, the level of progression of the other clubs just means Chelsea uh, they have to get it right now or they I just it, it, they it looks tough yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm going to be wrong and I can completely see them getting a, uh, maybe a, a Luis Enrique or something and doing really well next season. Um, but it's 
it's, I just think that the, the level of progression of the other, other, the current top four means that they have to get it right now or they could fall. Mm. Yeah, it'll definitely be one to watch uh, throughout here. Obviously, uh, for those listening, we're recording this on Sunday before the West Brom match. Um, worth noting, Gitto, when you mentioned that West Brom shouldn't be afraid, they are the ones that uh, basically sacked Di Matteo and um, Mourinho the second time uh, by beating <laughs> Chelsea. <laughs> it is called who should be afraid. Well, if anybody really isn't it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, and I, I do agree that Chelsea have uh, still been spending, but they've been spending worse, um, which is not the way to uh, really get better. And you mentioned trying to find a manager with more of a long-term vision to change the idea of the club. That was the point of the AVB hire when they brought him over from Portugal, was somebody with a long-term plan. And you know how they uh, approached him? Um, by giving him the same short-term objectives, despite him clearly being there for the long term. And that he was uh, obviously chopped short way before uh, he was given a chance. He tried to work in young players, which, you know, they have one of the best youth academies in the world, but very few of them end up playing at the top level because they can't get a game. So AVB started trying to push out some of the old players, tried to bring in some of the younger players, and it was just met with resentment and hostility at basically every level at the club, and he was kicked out. So if if they want to develop a more long-term strategy, as you said, um, they're a club that is so high up or has been that adopting an approach like Tottenham's now I think would keep them successful as opposed to Tottenham, which is trying to fight towards that success. Um, It would have to happen from the board down, not from the manager up, because they've tried that and... uh, was not met with great patience or success. All right, uh, we are going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with questions for each of our guests. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, uh, we are going to start with Jake. Uh, Jake, in our transfer recap special, um, uh, we had Dave on and we were talking about Islam Slimani. And I know uh, you and him were talking about it on Twitter as well. Uh, I do think he will be successful um, at Newcastle, as he is obviously better than uh, your current options, which makes him harsh to say right after a huge uh, victory there against Manchester United. Um, But curious to hear your take on that signing. I I thought at the time that it might be just enough uh, to keep you up, but it seems like you're doing plenty well uh, on your own as is. Um, yeah, I think it was important that we signed a striker. Um, the one thing I think I took the score is Hosselu with four goals. That's just not good enough. Um, I know Benitez has done this before when his Valencia team won the title. I think that top scorer had like seven or eight goals. Like he, he, he can sort of manage in that sort of environment, but a, a good striker, it, it was important that we got one. Um, the way we left it to the last minute is why we ended up with Solani, who is probably a good signing. But in fact, he's he's missed two games now for injury. He's not going to play against Leicester because he's ineligible. So we literally signed him for 10 matches. Uh, that's a big pressure on him. It, it just shows maybe that how rushed we were to do business. We tried to get down in storage. That didn't work out. We went after Nikolai Jorgensen of, of Feyenoord for a long time. That didn't work out. It's just... Like we we probably should have signed someone that could play straight away because it's such a small window of games and that's why I look at it as a bad sign. But if we can get him in the team and we continue 
producing the sort of chances that we have been making. I think he, he'll score goals. I think he's a, a huge upgrade on Hosselu. I think he can hold the ball up, bring the, the midfielders in, into the game, and he can score goals. Um, did so in Portugal. Maybe not the best sort of example of how he's going to do it in England, but he, he did okay at Leicester when he did play. He scored a few goals. He was never... Like he was never going to be a great fit for that system because they they're all about pace and they're all about quick breakaways and I just don't think that he he suits that. But I I think he'll be good for us if we can get him in the team, get service to him. I think he will score goals. Um, and it, like I know we won today and maybe he, it's not going to be as important as we thought he was going to be. Although it's still so tight down that we're still going to need to win more games. Um, I think it's a boost for the everybody at the club as well to see the new players coming in. That could, that can almost be as important as actually getting the player because to be boost everyone uh, boost everyone around you and in, the players who played in his position should step their game up Dwight Gale I thought was very good today um, didn't get any chances to score but he ran the channels well he held the ball up when he when he had the when he had the chance and he his passing was good I thought he, he had a, a a pretty good game for his standards in the Premier League so if if Somali coming in as a reason for that that means that there's a secondary sort of advantage to bring one in. So I think he's going to be good, yeah. I just hope he gets in the team for Bournemouth. He's got 13 days now. So, yeah, hopefully he can get fit for that. Yeah, uh, getting back to the uh, big win today, um, I'm sure that in the morning we'll see a lot of headlines talking about how Manchester United failed or or how Alexis maybe hasn't settled in at the club. Uh, But I feel like it's the only right to give you the chance to to discuss how Newcastle were the bigger part of uh, that result. Yeah, we. I think we were good value for the three points. Um, I don't think. I, I think maybe Manchester United still had the better chances, but they're always going to to have the better chances against Newcastle. Like we, we to get a win against the top six team, we're going to have to play really, really well, ride our luck, and then take the chances we get. And we did that. Um, I think Mourinho sort of actually gave us a compliment after the game, which is very rare. <laughs> he wasn't complaining about any decisions or anything. He was, gave us a compliment saying that we 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 uh, were sort of like robots out there. We were running, we were like machines, just blocking everything, uh, working so hard, uh, covering the ground. I think that's right. We 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 did work tirelessly, and it was, I've, I've said it before on the show. There was that famous banner when we were last in Premier League saying we don't demand a team that wins, we demand a team that tries, and we've got that now. Uh, I can never fault Newcastle when we go out on the pitch. We never come off, and, and I think, oh, we've not tried there. We haven't committed everything. We always do, and that is, that's the reason we won today. We just worked so hard um, on Sanchez in particular. Like he's only had he's only had four games now, hasn't he? Now, Manchester United. Yeah, it's way too early to think game. like he's he's a flop or anything. He scored last week. Like <laughs> I thought, he, there's a few passes he made today. There was one pass in the first half. I think it was to to get Lukaku in. It was sort of like a. a Sort of a a reverse pass that was really really nice. I think he he, he I didn't get finish that game and think Sanchez was the reason Manchester United didn't win. There's that one still frame of, of when he had that chance that does look awful. The fact that he didn't score it, like if if you'd showed it to anybody, you think does this player score here? You'd say yes, but then you know it's it's it's, diff, it's different to when you see it in the real live. When you see saw it live, it was yes, it was a good chance, but we got men covering back quickly. Uh, he didn't really have the angle to take it first time. Like his, his body wasn't in the right shape. So I think I I didn't think he was that bad. I didn't think he was that good. It was just yeah, it was just classic Sanchez away from home in the Premier League. He was like at Arsenal sometimes. He wasn't that great. I, just, I it's way too soon to judge him as well. I think I'll I'll give him give him to the end of the season to see how he does. Mm. Uh, and just to wrap up, uh, how quickly will you be buying your Dubrovka kit? 
Oh, I'm I'm very excited. <laughs> I hope we do get him. I when uh, si- since the summer, Benitez has wanted a new goalkeeper. Uh, we were linked with Pepe Reina and a few others. And then when he when we still got him, it was like another one of those. Oh, we've just gone for somebody from the basement bargain again. You know, we're not we're not committing to somebody uh, like a, a really good proven goalkeeper. But how wrong could I be? He looked very very good. It looked like the club had done their work. Yes, it's early days. It was one game, but the, it, within the first minute, he'd come out and and relieve pressure on um, pressure on the defence, which Darlow and Elliot don't do. They're very sticking to their line. He came out and claimed a lot of crosses, made two really really good saves. He just looked so confident. Um, and yeah, I, I hope we do sign him. We've got a deal in place for four point five million. I think it is if we want to sign him permanently. And I think if he continues to play like he did today, I, I can't see a reason why we wouldn't wouldn't buy him for that in the summer assume it's his job to lose now yeah i think so i don't think um benitez rates elliot or darlow at all highly and that's why they've both been in and out of the team throughout the season like he's never stuck with one and yeah i I don't think either one of them going to come back in now (laughs) fair enough all right on to you now Gitto, talking about swansea um kind of tying back into the topic i'm curious on your your priority as a club right now obviously um, Carvajal has come in and just done incredible things. Just one loss in your last 11 matches in all competitions, um, which is ridiculous. Is the goal for Swansea this year just staying safe? Is it long-term stability under Carvajal? Or is it kind of a short run potentially at the FA Cup, which of course you're still in and have a somewhat favorable draw against Sheffield Wednesday? The main aim is definitely to stay up. Um, and we're still only one point um, off the relegation zone, even though we've been on this fantastic run of results at the moment. Uh, but, but the priority is definitely to stay up. I mean, everything depends on us staying up. But it has to be said, we're also taking the FA Cup very, very seriously. Um, we've often played stronger lineups in the Cup, on paper anyway, than, than we've been playing in the league. Um, and um, it was really refreshing in the, the FA Cup replay against Notts County. Um, to see us really show, showing the kind of professionalism you just don't see from Premier League teams playing against real lower league opposition in, in the FA Cup. You know, it wasn't just that we said, oh, we'll go out and get the job done. We, we went out there and put in um, a really destructive performance, really, where we just, we, we were t- so much better than Notts County. Um, and, you know, we won 8 1, which is, again, a result you just don't see. In, in the in the cup because usually uh, teams go three or four up and they say okay we'll stick with this this is there's no point in carrying on with uh, you know this demolition job and we said no 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 we want goals we want to we want everybody to get kind of a, a confidence boosting goal uh, even Tom Carroll scored a, a stunning strike and it, it does seem to have made a big difference to his confidence um, so yeah we, we'll probably take the FA Cup very seriously too we've got a winnable uh, tie against Sheffield Wednesday in the next round. That one's got added significance because of um, Cavial's links to them. Um, and hopefully then we can progress to the um, to the quarterfinals. Um, but in terms of long term uh, and beyond this season, I couldn't really tell you what, what the aim is. Um, I'm not sure if Cavial is, is seen as kind of a long term option or if he has simply been brought into to try and keep us up this season. Um, it'll be interesting if he does manage to keep us up um, and with 
you know the fantastic mood that he's created around the club. It'll be a, a it'll be a very brave director who turns around to him and and says you're not welcome here anymore. <laughs> so thanks, but no thanks. Um, well, obviously that's that's very dependent on how the remaining months of the season go. Um, the talk when Cavial was brought in was that he was being brought in till the end of the season, and then another manager was being lined up who wasn't available at the time. What some of the talk has been about Roberto Martinez. Um, I'm not sure how realistic that is. I'm not sure why he would want to leave Belgium to join Swansea. But um, again, that that is all just questions for another day. And whether or not Cavial is seen as a long-term option, I'm guessing probably not. But but who really knows with our club? Now, a quick question um, about uh, Carvajal. Obviously, I watched a lot of what he did last season in the Championship. His team, when they played against Newcastle, were very functional, uh, getting in around us, making fouls, um, playing 4-4-2, long balls. And I, from what I've seen of Swansea so far, there, there have, it has been a more direct approach than maybe Swansea have been, been playing in the Premier League. Has there been any reaction to that? And do, do, do you mind that maybe it might be a bit more functional than it has been under past managers? Maybe, maybe, maybe not not more functional than it was under Clement, but still more functional than maybe Martinez, Rogers, Laudrup, etc. I think that's the point that it's it's the football is significantly better and significantly more entertaining than it was under Clement. So just compared to his immediate predecessor, Cavalier's football is the ultimate breath of fresh air. I've seen a lot of Swansea fans going on online about how oh, how beautiful the football is and how, how great it is to see us playing football the Swansea way again. And it, it's not. I mean, they are just kind of delusional after, <laughs> after being under Paul Clement's tactics for so long. Um, Carriar is much more positive. Um, he is definitely defence first. There's no doubt about it. We're playing five at the back. And it's shown um, with the clean sheets. Exactly. I mean, I mean, we're we're much more. I mean, I mean, we were we were reasonably solid and and the Clement. We weren't conceding tons of goals every game. Um, but but Carriel is defence first, but with the kind of uh, well, with a plan going forward. Shall we say there is much more of a structure to the team and there's much more of a plan going forward. And we're a lot more intricate and a lot more difficult to play against um, in in an attacking sense. Um, I, I, yeah, the, the football we're playing, it's nothing like we saw under Martinez um, and uh, um, uh, Rogers and Laudrup, for example. But it, uh, you know, it, it has plenty of merits. It's very, very hardworking. And, and whenever, I mean, Jake, you said there about watching a team that's trying at least, and that gets you so many bonus points, even when the results aren't coming. And, and that's one of the main things with Caviar is that the energy levels are through the roof. They are closing the opposition down in every opportunity. They are running their socks off and, and they all look like they're about to you know, pass out because they're running so much. And that goes a long way when you're battling down the bottom. And under Clement, we weren't seeing that. We were seeing a team that was very lethargic, very panicky and, and, and a lot of self-doubt, which, re- which was then you know, reflected in the performance. Under Cavial, it's a lot more confident. There's belief. Um, and they they seem to be enjoying their football again, and and the fans have really reacted to it. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask about uh, deadline day. We obviously had you on uh, for a segment, and uh, obviously bringing Andre Ayew, who's played up front uh, for both you and West Ham in the past. You bring in Andy King over a winger, which seemed surprising at the time, but since then, 
Uh, you lose Leroy Fair and Wilfried Boney both to injury. Uh, do you think those two will eventually slot in there? And if not, who do you think will start up front for you for the rest of the season? Is it just Abraham? It, it's going to be interesting to see because Jordan Ayew has been playing this weird position um, where he's... I, I mean, Jordan Ayew is such a strange player. He really is. He, he, he's got quite a lot of um, positive attributes, but his brain does not work in the same way as a normal footballer's would. Um, and that can sometimes lead to moments of brilliance. It, it can often leave you just immensely frustrated because he keeps making poor decisions. But by hook or by crook, he's been working in the team. He's been playing very, very well, and he's it's just been working. What he's been doing seems to have had a very positive effect. It's led to goals. It's um, he, His hard work um, makes life much easier for, for other players. Um, so at the moment, it's, it's his shirt to lose, even though Tammy Abraham has really shown... Um, a turnaround in his attitude over the last few weeks. He had kind of gone quiet and just fallen back into his shell a little bit. He, he was outstanding at the start of the season, but I, th- I think the the mood, the negative mood around the the squad had kind of got to him too. Uh, and it, it is worth remembering he's still a very young player. But but in the last few games, he's looked much more um, just keen and and hungry and and eager to. to to make an impact and um, the way he's been playing recently, he's going to be challenging for, for a, a starting spot. And then you've got Andre Ayew too, who um, had um, a promising debut against Burnley where he was working very hard and giving us a different kind of option. Um, so yeah, even though Boney's out, that we've got options up front um, and it is going to be interesting to see if we can fit um, two or even three of those players into the same team or if they are going to be happy just taking in in turns and one or two of them sitting on the bench every single game. That's going to be interesting to see. In terms of Andy King, yeah, that that was about as uninspiring a signing as you can get on deadline day. I've watched a lot of Andy King for Wales and for Leicester and he's never impressed me in any way, shape or form, I think. I don't think he's ever really made it at a Premier League level. He's a player who goes missing very often in games and, and doesn't really have much impact at all. Um so when we signed him, I really couldn't understand it, especially when we signed him above Lazar Makovic, um, who was a player, you know, a winger, which is has been a problem position for us for a long time. Uh, even though Makovic has his problems, I would have preferred him to King. But because of Leroy Fair's injury, that, that King signing now makes a lot more sense. Plus the fact that it, it seems Lazar Makovic was even further away from match fitness than we had previously thought. Um, so that makes a lot more sense now. I, I don't think Andy King is going to be a regular starter. I don't think he's going to have much impact at all, if I'm honest. But but he gives us another option, and it, it means we are less likely to be um, short-staffed in the midfield, even if um, you know we get we get further injuries. But the midfield, because we've inexplicably allowed Rocky Mesa to leave um, to go on loan to a Champions League club, just don't get me started on that one. Um, but Renato Sanchez is out injured too. Um, yes, and fair, obviously. We, we are a little bit short of options in midfield at the moment, despite us having um, previously in the season, it, it, we, we had a million and one options in that in that position. Um, so, yeah, King could actually turn out to be um, a, a useful squad player for us this season, just to, just to make up the numbers and make sure that we don't have to play too many um, square pegs in round holes. Yeah, and also you've now doubled the amount of Swansea players uh, with Premier League winners' medals. So that's um... yeah, yeah. It's 
we, we we're turning around the mentality. We're going for a for for a Premier League uh, Championship campaign next season, spearheaded by uh, Nathan Antonio Dyer Conte. and <laughs> with, with Antonio Conte at, at the helm. I have to say though, Nathan Dyer. I mean, he's been off he form has. for so so long. But oh, suddenly, out of nowhere, he is looking like the player we had three or four years ago. And Dyer, you know, when we first got promoted to the championship, uh, to the Premier League, sorry, um, he was a, he was a fantastic winger. A, a no, him and Sinclair on the opposite wing. Whew. Oh, no, no, no fullback in the league could play against them. His dribbling ability was just insane. And over the last few games, we have seen that those kind of performances. Maybe not quite at that level, but he's. Taking on players with confidence again, and he uh, his energy is so troublesome for defenders. Um, he's not always got the the kind of finishing touch that you'd want from him, but just as a dribbler and as a worker, um, it's it's great to see that side of Nathan Dyer's game back. He is um, he, he is a bit of a legend around here, even though he's he's been off form for so many years. I never thought I'd see anything like these current performances from him again, but it's great to see him back playing so well. Yeah, uh, now we will move on to uh, Player Watch, where we're going to try something. Uh, in hockey, there's something called three stars, where you basically list the three best players. They don't always have to be from the same club, although this week uh, they probably will be with all of us winning. So the first one is the best, the second is the second best. You guys get it at home. Uh, we'll obviously start off with you, Jake, and your win against Manchester United. Uh, who were your three stars? Oh, this is tough, this one. <laughs> Normally it's tough to pick one player, but you, you've extended it to three and I'm still struggling because everyone played so well. Uh, I'm going to leave out a few that deserve it. Um, just to, I'm not going to include Matt Ritchie in my three. I don't think it was as good to get in there, but I just got a quick mention that he's now not the, the player that has had the most shot about a goal. So that's a pleasing start. Because we spoke about Wee. that, I think, on... In the in the week, didn't we, Kev? We spoke yeah. about the player of the most shots throughout a goal. He's no longer that player, so well done to him. And hopefully he can kick on and, and get a few more before the end of the season. Uh, but yeah, but, but for, for my third best player, is that how we're doing it? Third? Yeah. Third best? Yeah, it would probably be uh, Florian Lejeune. I thought he was very, very good today, very composed on the ball, made a few uh, good interceptions, um, was a threat from set pieces. And and just he did very very well, and this was the player that we thought we were getting when we signed him. And then he he, he had a good debut against Tottenham before he was murdered by Harry Kane. And then he he sort of had to he had to go off injured for a little bit, came back uh, when we were in a bad run, looked shaky. Uh, and now he's been out for two months of injury, but he, he played really really well and um, was such a step up. If if he plays like that, he's such a step up from Kieran Clark, who always has an error in him. The reason we didn't beat Crystal Palace last weekend was because he did it an absolutely stupid thing of just pulling Ben Take when he shouldn't have done. But yeah, it's I think he was really good. That's a really encouraging sign. And if he can take confidence from that, I think him and LaSalle could be a really, really good partnership from now to the end of the season. Um I'm going to slightly cheat on the second one and say the two midfield players, because I couldn't pick between them. Diame and Shelby were both really, really good. So I'll talk, talk about them in a sort of a joint way. They made 13 ball recoveries, so interceptions, tackles. That was like that's, Considering they're both seen as lazy, lethargic players who don't put any effort in, that's really, really just impressive. Diame, the turnaround from him has been mad. Like he was... We used to just groan every time we saw his name on the team sheet, and now he's he's just putting so much work in. He's probably our best midfielder, I mean, which is crazy. He's keeping Marino out of the team. He was so, so good. And against Palace and Burnley in previous games, he's just been pinging 60-yard passes as well. Like he's, he's just improved so much. If he can keep playing like this, like it's... it's 
yeah, we've got a really good player. Hopefully, hopefully, he can keep it up. A Shelby as well. He's always been very inconsistent. Doesn't really work hard. But he, he gave an interview before the game saying that he's now he's now getting getting to grips with what he can and can't do on the football field. And now he's focused and things. Like we've heard it from him before, but that performance showed that there might be merit to those words this time. He was excellent, and if he can continue to play like that, yeah, he's he's going to have no trouble staying in the team. Um, so yeah, those two they won the midfield battle, so they deserve to get a, a mention. Uh, and obviously, the, our best player today, man of the match for me, was uh, Martin Dubravka in the goal. We spoke about him earlier, but mm. um, yeah, it's just it's rare for there to be a player now that can that that you know absolutely nothing about. Like I, I don't claim to know every single player, but most most players, at least I've heard of, I've heard his name. I've never heard of Martin Dubravka before he came to Newcastle. Never heard of him. Um, He's 29 from Sparta Prague. Plays for Slovakia, Slovakia, I think. Yeah, he was he was really really good and just shows that there is talent out there. Um, maybe not that's that well known in in the smaller leagues like Czech Republic and and similar nations. So if we can, if we're gonna have a low budget and if Rafa can keep finding players like him and Marino, you know, we maybe we can compete and, and progress. Like he was really really good. He made. Two really good saves, the one from Martial in the first half. Maybe wasn't uh, the hardest save to make, but the fact that he stayed up and did commit himself was really impressive. And then the one in the final minute was a, a ridiculous reaction save. I don't know how he made that. I it was it was De Gea level that save. So he was excellent. Um, just yeah, I just hope he can continue that because we've not had a we've not had a great goalkeeper probably since Tim Krul. Uh, before he started being bad, <laughs> there was a spell when he used to be good. When he played against Tottenham and made about fifty saves in that game, yeah. he was good then. So hopefully we get, we've got a good goalkeeper now that we can build build on for the future. So yeah, he, he's probably the best player today. All right, get to on to you. Obviously, a huge one nil in your your quest to stay up. Who were the three most impressive for you? Yeah, it's it's pretty difficult because it was it was very much a team performance. There weren't too many players who really stood out massively and, and really stole the show. It was just, we, we played well as a unit, but I'll give the first start to, to Jordan Ayew. Um, didn't really have too many chances, um, clear cut, but just his energy, his running, his it, it, the way he keeps the ball at the moment, it's incredible. It is like he has magnets in his boots because players, you think oh, a player's going to tackle him and get the ball from there and somehow he just keeps and keeps running. It's I mean, he, he, his dribbling style is bizarre, but it does work, and he does keep on keep hold of the ball for hours on end, um, which is pretty ridiculous and pretty good as well when you're trying to hold on to a one 0 win against a team like Burnley. Um, so I'll, I'll give it to him probably. Second and and close second, um, then with two stars is uh, Ki Sung Young, who scored a really really nice winner. Um, it was going to take. It was probably going to take either a mistake or something special to win that game yesterday because there weren't many chances for either side. It, both teams seemed pretty content with a nil-nil for most of the game, if I'm honest. But then, in you know, quite late in the game, he just picked it up towards uh, just outside the box and directs a really low hard shot into the bottom corner. Um, Pope in the in the Burnley goal never even went for it. It was just. You know, a really a real moment of quality in a game where moments of quality were in short supply in the final third, uh, and his general display was was pretty good. He he, he kept the ball moving in midfield. He's um, he's he's an intelligent player. He he just doesn't always really show the energy that you'd want from him, uh, and that's a frustrating thing. He is a good player. It's just for for long periods he won't show that. But at the moment, he his head is in the right place and he's really contributing to. 
to uh, um, the turnaround. Um, and third up, I'll, I'll give it to Mike van der Horn. I mean, any one of the defenders could have got it, really, because they, they controlled Burnley and really limited their attack um, very well. But van der Horn had a difficult task against um, Sam Vokes, and I thought he did very, very well. And he's a player who, um, you know, he's, he's, he's not very glamorous. He's not going to, um, you know, get any... Um, Player of the Month awards or anything like that, but he's been in the team now pretty much as a regular since Cavill came in, and he's um, he's really nailed down a spot in our starting lineup by just being solid and being ultra reliable, um, and and he's um, really playing his part uh, alongside Fernandez and Mawson in um, that really uh, well well working back five. Um, so yeah, those are the three. But if I'm honest. Pretty much any one of the starting eleven could have found themselves in there because it was just uh, a really strong team performance. Uh, yeah, on to Tottenham. Um, my third star is going to be uh, Jan Vertonghen, who has been fantastic without uh, Toby Alderweireld next to him. Um, obviously, Vertonghen's first year at Tottenham, he made the team of the year, uh, was immediately hailed as one of the best uh, center backs in the Premier League. Had a couple of iffy partners there with uh, Fazio and. Uh, there was one, I think, Eunice Kabul year. Um, then he gets his international compatriot uh, in Toby Alderweireld in, and immediately Alderweireld looked the better of the two, launched himself up in, into the argument of arguably the best center back in the Premier League. And usually we struggle a lot without uh, Toby, and we have done to an extent. Um, but Vertonghen has been absolutely phenomenal for us. He had a very good match for about 88 minutes <laughs> against Arsenal, uh, hence his, his place in third here for me. Um then obviously Arsenal had about three goal-scoring chances in the last three or so minutes, which was terrifying. Uh, but on the whole, he had an excellent performance, and I think his uh, performances have helped stabilize Davinson even uh, when we played in a two, although he's obviously been far more comfortable uh, when we were in a three, um, which is understandable because when you're flanked by Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen, you're probably going to have an easier day than when you're not. Um, but yeah, so Jan Vertonghen uh, is my third star. My second star is going to be Harry Kane. Takes some doing to score a winning goal against uh, a bitter rival and uh, only come up second. Uh, but he had a lot of opportunities to score more. Arguably should have done as well. Um, but his hold-up play was very important for us. Uh, and we finally got to see players kind of bombing down the wings in a way that I think we thought we wouldn't see until Lucas actually played for us, which obviously he did not. Um, but if we can start to see that and then incorporate somebody with the pace of somebody like Lucas, uh, we, we could be uh, running towards a hopeful uh, top four spot this season. Uh, my first star is going to be Moussa Dembele, who was just imperious again. There, there were times this season when we were worried he wasn't going to get back to where he was. Another hip injury. We've been playing him sparingly on and off this season. And we didn't really know if it was uh, preventative or if it was uh, dealing with a current issue. Um, but seeing how he played uh, against Arsenal, he just he just tore them apart. And in the middle of what was supposed to be Jack Wilshere's I belong in the England team campaign, um, Dembele just made him look like a, a small child <laughs> in that match uh, and really had the better of him all day. Um, I'm not, really not that impressed uh, with what the rest of their midfield did either, but I, I think that's more to Dembele's credit than to their discredit. Um, but yeah, Musa Dembele absolutely ran that midfield, and I think deservingly is my first star. All right, uh, we're going to wrap up here with uh, match previews, asterisk. We'll get there in a second with uh, Jake and Newcastle. Uh, we'll lead in chronologically with Tottenham, who, of course, are going to be uh, traveling to face Juventus 
on Tuesday in the Champions League. We made it out of the group stage, which I think was the objective for this year's campaign. Um, it was a, a, a quote-unquote group of death, but as Jake pointed out, our successes have been slightly um, tainted by uh, the struggles of both Dortmund and Juventus. Um, sorry, <laughs> Dortmund and Real Madrid since. Um, but as we head into the Juventus match, they're not exactly having their best campaign ever. I mean, they're only in second. It's not like they've significantly struggled, but considering that by this point of the last couple of seasons, it's felt like they'd already won the title. Um, they have been hemmed in a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, you don't want to talk about friendly results too much, but we did uh, beat them 2-0 in the preseason in a match that did see both of us play pretty strong 11s. Uh, Kane and Erickson scored the winners there. Obviously, both of them available. In fact, every Tottenham Hotspur player is currently available for selection, which is not something that many teams get to say often, um, and, and certainly not for us. So incredible uh, that, that we have that kind of selection. Juventus, not the same case. Uh, Quadrado, Huedas, and Matuidi all look like they're going to miss, and Brazagli and Dybala are now both considered doubts. Um, so we, we could be facing a... a less strong Juventus team. Obviously, do not take that uh, as uh, confidence. They're still obviously a very good team and have a lot of depth um, and other players that could definitely do us damage. But, uh, you know, it, uh, just a little little hint of optimism. Um, whether or not we win, I, I would like to, but that's not really what I'm expecting. A scored draw or a scored loss even, I think would be good results for us. Hoping for the win. I'll say scored draw in this one. Um, I think we're going to play a straight, pretty strong 11. I think the reason we didn't see Wanyama and Toby against Arsenal is that they will be starting midweek. We didn't see Rose or Aurier. Again, I think we'll be seeing them in the Champions League squad. My, What's going to be really interesting is how Lucas is going to pan out the season. He was purchased um, for many reasons, but of very much interest is the fact that he did, not, he did not suit up in the Champions League for PSG. And so he is Champions League eligible. So if we are trying to... Uh, continue this rotation that we've been doing with our wing backs. We've started to do up front a little bit more. There's a chance that we could throw Lucas into the cauldron here uh, against uh, Juventus. Not sure uh, if that'll be the case or not, but you got to imagine that he will be using that competition as it was a very big bonus uh, to signing him. Um, we will now come to you, Gito. I mentioned uh, your FA Cup draw uh, that'll be coming at the weekend. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday are going to be your opponent. Uh, how do you view this match? It's going to be an interesting one because there's a little bit of added spice in because Carlos Cavallar is doing so well with us, but he left um, on, on a really sour note, really, from um, Sheffield Wednesday. And a lot of their fans um, are, are really resentful of him, basically. Uh, and I really don't quite understand why. I know this season was was a, a bit of a disaster for them, really, and it definitely didn't go the way they wanted it to. But... Um, you know, if in regular, before Carlos Cavial turned up, a season like this for Sheffield Wednesday would have been pretty normal. He's the one who raised the expectations by getting them to Wembley and then qualifying for the playoffs for a second year in a row. He raised those expectations. Yes, he ran out of steam and, um, and, and seemed to lose the plot towards the end, but he did achieve some really great things, um, and, and, and raised the bar at that club. So I think, the reaction from a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans, uh, I'll be honest, I, I just don't understand it. It's quite petty. Um, but that spice is there. Um, and um, it, it, they, I don't think there's any risk of us you know, not taking this game seriously. Cavill's, um shown a lot of respect the FA Cup um, so far. Um, although it does need to be pointed out, our um, away form of the Cup hasn't been amazing. We've, we've had two draws against lower league sides. 
Um, and we've required a replay in both of our previous rounds to, to get through. So Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough um, well, de- def- should definitely feel that they've got a chance um, away from the Cavall. Generally hasn't been as impressive as our um, home form, uh, home form um, Jake you know, saw us up at St. James's Park when um, Newcastle, we, well, we were riding our luck um, for large parts of that first half um, before eventually taking the lead. And then Newcastle quite rightly got an, an equaliser then to, to secure a point for that game. And generally our waveform isn't quite as, as commanding and impressive as, as our home form. But still, I think with our performances of late and, and our results of late coming up against a team who are still probably in a relegation battle in the championship. I think they've got, um, well, I think they're about five, five places above the, the relegation zone at the moment. Um, and, and they've not really been functioning this season. Um, I think we've got to fancy our chances. I'm hopeful that we can get the job done on the day on this occasion and we won't require a replay. Um, and hopefully we'll have a, a pretty comfortable passage through to the, um, to the next round and, and it, it makes a nice change actually for us to have a good FA Cup run because it's it's our record in the FA Cup is pretty disappointing really on the whole um, so hopefully we can get ourselves through to the next round and um, you never know the, the Cup run's been very good for confidence this season people often talk about you know being want, want kind of it being a, a blessing in disguise when clubs get knocked out of um, the FA Cup but for us this season it's 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 had a really beneficial uh, impact, and hopefully that can continue uh, on Saturday. And if I was to predict the result, I'll go for two 0 Swansea, and hopefully a reasonably comfortable game. Yeah, and then we'll wrap up with Jake. Uh, it's actually going to be quite some time until your next match. Thirteen days, in fact, um, could be used as a chance to get some players fit. But considering your win, would you rather have just carried on, or do you think uh, this break will benefit Newcastle? Um. No, I think it's probably a good thing to have a break. Um, had quite a tough. It's not a, not a tough Christmas schedule because we're not playing in many competitions, but it's still still a lot of games. Um, and I think it's maybe good to to lead off on a lead off on on with the positive of winning a game. We get back on the training ground. Rafa loves to prepare. And Bournemouth, the next game we do have thirteen days away or not, it's a game that we can go and win. We've not we've normally been better away from home than we have been at home. Uh, Today was our first one at home since October, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, that is not good enough, but we, we tend to do well at home, uh, away from home. I think for that reason, Bournemouth is a game that we can really put. We could put two weeks of folk, uh, of planning into that and get players, you know, watching watching tape, get them get a, a real functioning game plan. Because Bournemouth, although they they've maybe climbed out of trouble, they're not a a team that you should fear. They they went to Huddersfield and conceded four goals, which which shows that they can be got at. And I think we. 13, I think with 30, 30 days preparation, I really fancy us to go there and win. And if we did do that, we'd, we'd be in such a healthy position. But yeah, I think it's a good time of the season to have a bit of time off, let the players maybe go away um, for, the, for the next few days, revitalise themselves, just 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 get refreshed for the for the running and come back. And yeah, I'm 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 completely have faith in Rafa to manage this period and get us to to go to Bournemouth on a positive of beating Manchester United. Fantastic. Uh, that'll do it for us today. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman uh, with two ends. I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room. Uh, for the latter, we do a lot of interviews with players from the Football League and various other countries as well. I think we've had one with a, a, um, we're trying to get the SPL as well. So yeah, check that website. There's loads of cool interviews going up on there. 
Uh, yeah, if you want to hear more on the Swans, the Jackass should be recording uh, early this week. And you can find it at the Jackcast on Twitter. Uh, if you want to hear more of my crazy opinions, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gitoshawilly. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my writings over at Goal. And you can also hear my dulcet-ish tones um, on the FPL Roundtable, which, of course, is on this very channel. Be sure to check out the Championship Roundtable as well. All right, thanks, guys, so much for joining us. It was a pleasure, as always, and we hope you keep listening. Love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 